You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. new heavens, new earth, and we're going to live in a world where there's no more death or mourning or crying. You'll never cry again or pain. Anybody wake up this morning and, and, and common for me when I'm getting out of bed, there's usually a groan connected with it. Oh, are you not excited about this? I mean, this is just amazing stuff. One day it's going to happen. As a Christian, you have a future in heaven that's going to be great beyond anything that you can imagine. In Christ, you're promised to return to the existence that you were created for in the first place. Today, Pastor Danny teaches you that when you die here with Jesus as your Savior, you not only go on to a better place, but are gifted with a better body. The struggles of biology that haunt you here will be long forgotten. Being as you know it will change, and a glorious eternity with your Creator will begin. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as he begins his message, The Glorious Hope of a New Body. chapter 15. Uh, I need to say it every week because we may have new people online or with us here. We have a church Bible reading plan. If you as a Christian don't have a regular scheduled Bible reading plan, you can join ours if you would like to. Uh, You can get them in print either lobby on your way out or you can just go on the website and get it through our website. What we're doing as we're reading through the scriptures and we just finished this past week 1 Corinthians We've now started 2 Corinthians, but what we're doing, at least this season right now in ministry, is as we're reading together through the scriptures, we're pulling out a section from the previous week's reading and teaching on that. So even though we've started 2 Corinthians in our weekly reading, I'm going to teach from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. So my intention is to pull from a handful of verses in the first section, and then we're going to read through in a few minutes all the last half and really talk about that. The context of 1 Corinthians 15, the subject matter is the resurrection, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And believe it or not, somehow in the church in Corinth, some people had bought into some bad teaching. Somebody had taught them, and some people began to believe that there's no such thing as the resurrection, especially the resurrection of the body. There was a group, interestingly enough, uh, in Jesus' day called the Sadducees. They believed in God. They were religious, of course, but they didn't believe in resurrection. Maybe how they got their name, because if you don't believe in resurrection, that's sad, you see. It gets better, I promise you. Paul argues 
Well, if there's no resurrection, then Christ has not been raised from the dead. Our preaching is futile or useless. Your faith is futile. Those who have died in faith, what hope do they have? And so he talks about the resurrection. And one of the things he says in the context of this is verse 24. And that's the first verse I want to pull out. Verse 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And here's what he says. Then the end will come when he, Christ, hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. It is not a slick outline, but it is what the text teaches. And here's the first thing. It's the future destruction of all dominion, authority, and power. But he's not talking about God's power, not talking about God's authority, not talking about God's dominion. He's talking about Satan's, Lucifer. A coming day when all the dominion, authority, and power that Satan has now in the world and in the universe destroyed. I can't wait for that day. Now, this is said in the context of the gospel message, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. You believe in Christ. The hope you have is that one day everything Satan has been allowed to do and destroy, God will one day make right. Verse you can write down, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 tells us that Satan, Satan has the power of death. And it says that Christ, in what he did in his mission, he allowed and enabled man to no longer have the fear of death. And it says that Satan has the power of death. You say, wait a minute, I thought God was in control of life and death. Well, ultimately, yes. What is he talking about? Well, well, now we don't have time to get deeply into it, but you go all the way back to the beginning. The Garden of Eden, God puts man in paradise, Adam and Eve, the first two humans on the planet. God created Adam. From Adam, he creates Eve. He marries them, and all of us come from Adam and Eve. God says to Adam and Eve, eat of all the trees in paradise, but one tree, don't eat of it, because the day you eat of it, you're going to die. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan shows up, convinces Eve that God is not good, that he's not fair, that he's holding back, that this tree, uh, you eat of this tree and you're going to get everything God's holding from you. Convinces Eve, she eats of the tree, her husband follows her, Adam and Eve become sinners. And at that moment, at that moment, they died spiritually, they would eventually die physically. But also, something happened. Everything God had for them. They now forfeited through disobedience and following Satan, and everything was lost. It's called paradise lost. And with it, now, Satan, and this is what Hebrews 2 is talking about, has the power of death because man has become a sinner through Satan's deception. Man believed a lie. He's still believing a lie. And you forfeit everything God has for you unless you repent of your sin, receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the hope. And the Bible, all throughout the prophecies of the Bible, it culminates in one day, Jesus, God the Father, destroying all dominion, authority, and power. Satan's dominion, authority, and power. He comes to rob, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life that you might have it more abundantly. Now, Ephesians chapter 6 talks about this whole thing of this dominion, authority, and power of Satan versus the dominion, authority, and power of the Lord, of God. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I put in my notes, I put in my notes, every movie made, every story told that portrays good against evil, light versus darkness, etc., is based on truth. It's based on the truth of the Bible. Lone Ranger and Tonto, good guys fighting the bad guys. You know, Superman fighting the bad guys. Spider-Man, all the superheroes, you got the good ones, you got the bad ones. Good villains or bad villains, good guys. Ephesians 6, listen to this. Verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's still scheming. He's lying. He's a deceiver. He's the originator of lies. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the, here it is, the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. But he disguises himself as an angel of light. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. One of my favorite prophecies about this coming day is Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel is a prophetic book. Talks about the things of the end times and the second coming of Christ. A messianic title, one of the messianic titles that Jesus has, he's the son of man. Not a son of man. He's the son of man. Here, Daniel 7, verse 13. Daniel says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days. He was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Are you here? Anybody at all excited about that? Just wanted to check. Another one is Ephesians chapter 1. Oh, man, Jesus bumps already, and I'm the one teaching it. Ephesians chapter 1. You go down to verse 7. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, and we're getting close, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Future destruction of all dominion, authority, and power of the enemy, Satan. It culminates Revelation chapter 21. Jesus is going to create new heavens, new earth, and we're going to live in a world where there's no more Death or mourning or crying. You'll never cry again or pain. Anybody wake up this morning and, and, and common for me when I'm getting out of bed, there's usually a groan connected with it? Oh. Are you not excited about this? I mean, this is just amazing stuff. One day it's going to happen. Here's the present reality. A lot of people still wearing masks. Some people get really bent out of shape. We had somebody get out, bent out of shape last service. One of our parking lot attendants, you know, they weren't wearing masks, and somebody came in driving in with a mask and wanted to know why the parking lot attendants didn't have a mask. And some people just, and I'm look, if you're a mask wearer, that's great, but 
Why are we wearing it? Because people don't want to die. Even Christians. Somebody told me after the service, said, yeah, I heard this thing years ago. Christian said, yeah, I got a ticket for the train, but I'm not ready to get on board yet. You know, I mean, well, here's the deal. Look, there's nothing pretty about death for anybody. There's nothing pretty about it. And you're a Christian. You know where you're headed. You know, you die, and if you, you know, get the best undertaker, and they do you really good, you have the open casket, everybody comes to the funeral, and people walking by going, he looks so good. Are you kidding me? He's dead. He's dead. Put you in a nice suit, you know, and the nicest suit you probably ever had on in your life. Costs more than anyone you ever had in your life, too. Undertakers aren't cheap. Why are people afraid to die? Well, of course, we know the unbeliever. But listen, for everybody, 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 Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has put eternity in the heart of man. Every person has something from their creator. There's this knowledge that you know when you physically die, it's not the end. God, the creator, put that in every human being. Ecclesiastes 3.11. That's why people are afraid to die. Look, if the Jehovah's Witnesses were right, and Jehovah's Witnesses, they live on forever, and if you weren't a Jehovah's Witness, you just get extinguished and you're no longer, well, why would you be afraid to die then? No, people are afraid to die because they know it's not the end. They know. Because the Creator put that in us. Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Ephesians chapter 4. Even though death is not a pretty thing, even for the believer, nothing pretty about death. I know where I'm headed, but I'm still, you know, I'm like, I wonder sometimes, how am I going to die? Am I going to be cancer, you know? Am I going to have a lot of suffering, you know? Or am I just going to get hit by a truck and boom, you're gone? And you get up to Jesus and say, what happened? You got hit by a truck. Really? I didn't feel a thing. Well, that's the way everybody wants to go. You want to you go to sleep and wake up with Jesus. Ephesians, now, chapter 4. Look at verse 8. This is why it says... And he quotes from Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train. That's his royal robe. And he gave gifts to men. Now, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. He ascended to the very throne of God, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. That's where he is now. Jesus, that's where he is. But when he died on the cross, this prophecy tells us in his spirit, his body's dead, but spirit's alive, he goes to the earthly regions way down below. He goes to Sheol. What does he do there? John, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, when he sees Jesus in his resurrected, glorified state, Jesus speaks, and he says, I am the one who was dead, but I'm alive forevermore, and I hold the keys to death and hell. Old Testament saints were kind of muddy on what happens when a person dies, even for the saint. They weren't sure. We get believe, some people believe in soul sleep, even for the believer, that you, you die, you're unconscious, you know, nowhere really until Jesus comes, and then you wake up again. That's not what the Bible teaches. New Testament verses make it clear, make it very clear, and I'll give you several. Luke chapter 16. Let me tell you a story Jesus tells from Luke chapter 16. He tells a story, not a parable. Two men. Two men. One's a rich man. We aren't even told his name, but he's a rich man. 
and he dies. But he doesn't die in faith. He dies an unbeliever. And Lazarus, a beggar, but Lazarus, a man of faith. He had the faith of Abraham. Everybody saved has the faith of Abraham. Abraham, through your seed, through the lineage of Abraham, Messiah would come. It's belief in Jesus, the Messiah. If you're saved, you have the faith of Abraham. It's just faith in the Messiah. So he tells this story. Rich man dies. Lazarus dies. They both wake up in Sheol. Well, why didn't the believer just go to heaven? You couldn't go to heaven before Jesus died on the cross because he's the only sacrifice sufficient, all right? So you died in faith, and you went. Luke 16, Jesus tells the story. Lazarus wakes up in Abraham's bosom. That's what it was called. It's a real place. It was down, down in the lower earthly regions, in Sheol. It was a place of comfort. And so the believer before the cross went to Abraham's bosom. Abraham was there. Adam and Eve were there. And Jesus telling the story, the rich man dies. He also wakes up in Sheol, but he wakes up in a different compartment. He wakes up in what we call hell. And he's tormented in the flames. He's burning, but he's not dying. He's still conscious. And he's tormented. And he looks over. You can see over to the other side. And he sees Abraham. And he begs Abraham to send Lazarus and Lazarus to just dip his finger in water and come and touch the rich man's tongue because he says, I'm tormented in these flames. And Abraham says, son, you made your decisions in your life, and this is the result. Lazarus made his decisions. This is the result. You died without faith in the Messiah. You're in hell. He died by faith in the Messiah. He wakes up. He's in the Sheol, but he's in a different place. Back to the text. This is from Psalm 68 here that I read in Ephesians 4. Psalm 68, a messianic psalm with prophetic implications. Messiah, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train. It goes on to say, but he didn't ascend before he descended. He descended to the lower earthly regions. And with the key, the keys to death and hell, Sheol is the word. There were two compartments. One, people who died in faith, comfort. The others died in Without faith, in hell, suffering. And Jesus comes, and he unlocks the door. And to Abraham and all those who had died in faith, he leads them, and they ascend in his royal robe, and he leads them into the very presence of the Father. That's what happened, literally happened. I'll give you a little side note. When you read that story in Luke 16, it says the angels came. And they took Lazarus to Abraham's bosom. I'm convinced, I'm convinced when the believer dies, you get an angelic escort into the very presence of the Father. That's how Elijah went. (laughs) Man, this is amazing. That's why we have these confirming verses, confirming verses. Paul the apostle said in Philippians 1, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. No soul sleep. And you're not going down to Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom is empty. It's empty. He wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You say, well, that's spirit. Yeah, but you study the scriptures, you'll find even the spirit has shape. It has a form. And one day our spirit, everybody's spirit lives on, lives on. That's Ecclesiastes 3.11. 
God has set eternity in the heart of man. We are spirit beings. We live in a human body. We possess a soul. But we're spirit beings. We're going to live on forever. And one day our spirit, with Jesus, if we die physically, then one day, one day, one day, this is the next part. It's so good. It's the glorious hope of a new body. I've been pastoring a long time. I mention it occasionally, and a lot of you have been following our ministry for a long time, and guess what? Because you have, you're old. <laughs> Most of us have less years left than we've been traveling on the earth behind us. I'm 63. Ain't no way I'm going to live another 63 years. But man, what we have to look forward to. Come on. Everybody's awake, right? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. Someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. And the older you get, the more happy you are about that. Because you don't want the body. I don't want the body I have. Verse 38, but God gives it a body just as he has determined. And each kind of seed, he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds have another. Fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is of one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. That's fascinating. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, Christ, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, and he proved to be a dirt bag. The second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. So, just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Anybody praise the Lord? Hallelujah. Are you paying attention to that? I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's a very important statement. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. He's talking about physical death. But we will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? I have to go back and just look at the four characteristics of the new body that he gives us. You know what the first one is? Immortal. Imperishable, which he says is synonymous with being immortal. You know what that means, right? It means deathlessness, incorruptibility. Nobody or nothing can kill you. Nobody or nothing can make you sick. Nobody or nothing can mess you up.
Thanks for joining Pastor Danny today as he continued to walk us through the books of the New Testament. From the life of Jesus and his ministry to how the gospel spread in the early days of the church, the New Testament books offer much insight into how we're supposed to live our lives now. They're not just an interesting story or a history lesson. These things actually happened. Is this New Testament Highlights series speaking to you in a personal way? If so, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send us an email and tell us what your experience has been as you've listened to these teachings. Our email address is info at ccfstpete.church. That address again is info at ccfstpete.church. If you happen to be in the St. Petersburg area, come join us and hear from Pastor Danny at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We're holding services each Saturday at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. You'll find all the information you need on our website, ccfstpete.church. Thanks for tuning in today. Here at The Living Word, we value digging into Scripture in order to learn and to grow in our personal pursuit of God. So we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue teaching the Word and reaching the world. We look forward to the next edition here on The Living Word.